Welcome to the show. I am your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, and you're listening to On The Clock. On The Clock is a venture with the Strategos Podcast Network, where we feature an array of guests to dive into all things education. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to On The Clock with Todd Dallas-Lamb. I am your host, and today our guest is Shalia McCray. And you go by Shay. Is that correct, Shay? I go by Shay McCray. It's got to be the... That's got to be the coolest name in all of education. I'm going to go ahead and, and deem that to be the facts right now. Um, your your specialty, Shay, is in turnaround. Uh, you are based in the Tampa area at Hillsboro School District. Uh, where are you from originally? So I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, my mother moved back to Tampa, where she is originally from. She was born and raised in Tampa, Florida. And so at the age of two, uh, we came back to Tampa, and I've been raised really in Tampa. So when people ask where I'm from, I just say Tampa to keep it easy. Uh, do you do you make a big deal out of the being from Louisville? Do you make a big deal out of the Kentucky Derby every year? Well, actually, my um, my father played um, for um, for Louisville. He played basketball um, for Louisville back with, with the Kentucky Colonels when there was okay. an NBA league and an NBA league. And so um, my family is still there. I'm very close to my aunts and uncles who all still live in Kentucky. Um, so when we talk, we always talk about sports, not necessarily the Derby. I get it. And then uh, Louisville is a great sports town. I, I grew up yeah. watching Louisville Cardinals play uh, basketball. So what what gave you your spark uh, for learning, your love of learning that led you into a career where you are working with uh, students and in, in, in focusing on turnaround? Okay, so I carry with me a hundred years of educational legacy um, in my family, which I bring to work with me every day. My great great grandmother um, was a teacher. Um, her, um, her, her daughter was a teacher. My grandfather down the same lineage was also a teacher and administrator. He opened schools in Hillsborough County. He was the first African-American professor at the University of South Florida. And he started the Upper Bound program, which centered on getting minority kids into a college going environment after high school. And so during high school, they would have summer internships, um, a bridge program at USF. And the whole idea was to get them college ready to go off to whatever school they wanted to go to. So he saw over 3,000 students in Hillsborough County go off to finish four-year degrees. Um, my mother was an educator at USF, and I am now an educator. Um, so we, I have a very long legacy of educators, all centered around helping uh, minority youth really excel and get into um, higher learning. And so uh, for me, being in uh, the school system, that comes from uh, my grandfather. Father and, and being raised with him here in Tampa, it was instilled in me that that whole educational focus and this being a priority for life. So that's an incredible uh, lineage of educators. That's amazing. So no wonder you're in the business you're in. Tell me about and, and our listeners about what is a turnaround school? How is it designated? Uh, and what are the I'm guessing the state has certain rules that make you list and grade the, the schools within your district. Some of them are turnaround and that's where you come in. Yep. So in Hillsborough County, we've identified 28 schools to be a part of our transformation network. And we uh, call our transformation schools schools that are a D or an F school. When a school becomes a D for the first year, they're really under district managed turnaround. And so the state is not does not intervene. They give the district that first year a chance to try to get that school back into um, a positive academic standing. But when you get to that second D, 
that's when the state intervenes and we become partners in the work. And so there's a state team that's on the ground working with us to try to help us kind of um, boost the academic um, achievement at the school. And if we have schools that get to a third year D, that's when we begin to contract out. The state has guidance now as a statute that we can contract out to get an, um, what's called an external operator to work with us. So right now in Hillsboro, we do have eight schools that are at that external operator status. Um, the remaining uh, 20 schools are either a first year D or a second year D. And this is our first year kind of coming together as a transformation network under our new leadership. Um, but prior to this year, we did have achievement schools which focused on 50 um, low performing schools. And we included our C schools in that, in that, um, in that category, um, those fragile Cs, because we know that those fragile Cs still need support. So DNF schools for transformation. What are some of the indicators? I would assume it's graduation rate, it's mm -hmm. uh, attendance is probably a part of it, as well as just assessment. Uh, what, el what else do they look for to make those designations to D to F? Well, actually in the state of Florida, they only look at their state assessment score. So our school grade is comprised solely of our end of year, our summative assessment. So we have our, um, our FSA, um, our Florida standards assessment, and that is how they determine um, how, kid, how the school is gonna be graded. So it's looking at reading, uh, proficiency and gains. It's looking at math, proficiency and gains. In elementary school, it looks at science. And then when you get to middle and high school, we look at um, accelerator points as well as algebra, um, some of those EOC, civics EOC. And so our school grade is comprised 100% from assessment scores from our summative end of year assessment. So if if my football team is doing badly for three or four years straight, they just change the coach, right? Yeah. Is that part of the solution on turnaround is, is, is finding new leadership? That is that is part that is part of it is that you have to really think about do we have the right leader on the bus and do we have effective leaders in the seat and so yes once you get to a couple of years of, of a D we do look at changing the leader before we get to that third D um, because that is one of our transformation um, you know network way of work is having effective strong leaders in our school. I, I went to school in Northern California near a, an Indian reservation and had lots of friends that went to school with me of all racial backgrounds. Uh, the one thing that you would notice, I would notice, is that some kids have parents that are in their ear uh, about education and some have parents that don't really value education. Right. You you don't have the, the, the ability to just sit back and hope for one or the other. You have to teach every single child. Yeah. I mean, that really is a challenge of a, a modern school, isn't it? Is to figure out a way to find the spark that you had growing up from your parents and your grandfather, but right. may, may, may have to be at the school level. Right. So what we always tell, you know, our teachers um, who sometimes get frustrated with the lack of, you know, um, engagement or involvement. We always tell our teachers that our parents send their best kids to school. Right. They're not keeping the good ones at home and sending the bad ones to school. Yep. They are sending their precious cargo to school. And so it really is our responsibility to make sure um, that we reach that kid and, and try to instill um, some spark in that and that child. But one other indicator um, in our transformation network that we're really focused on is family and community engagement. And so when we think about um, school leadership and we think about, you know, a district as a whole, 
a lot of time is spent on academics and instruction. And sometimes what's missing is that family and community partnership. So this year, we've been highly focused on family and community engagement, so much so that we have 48 major partnerships um, to the tune of Microsoft, who's been partnering with us for STEM Academy and academic academies. We have all types of um, faith-based organizations that's been supporting us with our food desert happening because of COVID. So we have established partnerships that are reaching down to the family and reaching down to the community um, to try to get some type of, you know, engagement with, with parents. And so that is a, a, a part that I think sometimes is missing and is critical to having um, in our transformation network. When I think about American schools, I mean, I think about all the ways that that you can reach a kid. How do you try to and inject new programs that allow students those opportunities that might make that spark happen? So, you know, with our kids, because we find that kids are not exposed to many of the things that maybe we may see in our upper, um, you know, socioeconomic areas, I will tell you, we had a partnership with Women of Color Golf. It's a, a subsidiary of PGA. We got a $25,000 scholarship to reach one of our, our lowest performing school in the county. And we had uh, Women of Color Golf was established this year. And so we had our fifth grade girls have an opportunity to get out on the golf range with some uh, semi-pro and pro women of color golfers um, who really wrapped their arms around kids this year. And so that was something that they would have never thought, okay, golf, I wanna do golf. Who, who's thinking about that, right, in an impoverished community? So we are really trying to push in opportunities for kids to be exposed to things that they may not normally have been exposed to. Mentorship programs have been huge for us as well. And so we are pushing in with mentors. Um, we have um, We See You Mentoring, where we are working with PricewaterhouseCoopers and, and Lauren Dungy, who is, uh, who is the wife of Tony Dungy, and they're pushing into schools with mentorship programs. And so, again, giving them exposure to professionals and adults that are really pouring in care and love for them. Um, again, not just all academics, but you know, how are you and who are you and how can I help you be a better kid? So those are some of, again, some outreach uh, things that we've been doing this year that have been very promising for our students. So the Dungies are pretty incredible people in that area. I know that Tony Dungy is one of the most motivational people I've ever met. You're telling me that his wife has the same uh, abilities? Oh, she has the same energy and drive. And, you know, they both actually spend a considerable amount of time in Hillsborough County, not just in transformation, but across our county. They go out. They have a reading uh, program. They go out and they sit um, with elementary students and they actually read to kids. And so they have a full year schedule where they make appointments with schools, they come in and kids have the opportunity to sit and, and listen to, um, you know, to turn it, uh, um, Tony Dungy and, and Lauren Dungy and they read to kids. They've, they've actually written some children's books um, and they've given, given signed children's books to kids. They are totally engaged in, in the educational environment here, here in Tampa. And we're very blessed and thankful to have them. You mentioned those fifth grade girls. I, that That's kind of the key number, isn't it, um, with regards to students? If they haven't figured out how to read and write by fifth grade, it gets really hard, doesn't it, to turn that it, around? 
It really does. Actually, in the state of Florida, third grade is our indicator for reading. And so if students are not proficient on our summative assessment by third grade, that is where we look at retention. We look at some remediation opportunities. We look at possible ways to accelerate to kind of fill the gaps from behind. Uh, but in the state of Florida, third grade is where our indicator and mark is to kind of evaluate whether or not students can read, whether they're missing foundational skills, comprehension skills. We really get down into that third grade level. Um, because you're right, when we get to fifth grade and we're on to middle school, I mean, it becomes very difficult. And that's when you get that disengaged child who is frustrated because they don't understand the work. They don't understand, right, the material. And so they begin to act out. And that behavior, a lot of times, is not because we have, air quote, bad kids. It's because we have some undiagnosed things that are going on, possibly reading deficiencies, where kids are struggling. And they don't want their peers to know that they're struggling. So they act out, right, because it's easier to be sent home and not have to deal with it than to be in school and to struggle in front of your friends. Well, it's amazing. The um, the school system really is, in many ways, very similar to the way it was invented hundreds, hundred years ago, which it, it's on that, that agricultural calendar, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but it, the assumptions are different now. Um, the right. assumptions used to be for a young person to come in, they had they had some sense of how reading took place. They'd been read to. Um, they had two parents in their ear all the time about going to school and getting it done and, and learning. And, and, and the classrooms were really small, right? They, 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 there was like seven or eight students to a teacher. And now you have kids coming in who've never been read to, uh, who are expected. And I think this, the, the movement toward pre-K really does make a lot of sense to me, doesn't it to you? Absolutely. And we've expanded our pre-K programs. I have to tell you, in the state of Florida, kindergarten standards, by the end of kindergarten, there's an expectation that students are able to write a sentence and that they're also able to read on their own. Right. So when we grew up, it was like shapes, numbers, colors. Yeah, you're good for first grade. Now it's like you have to know how to write and we see writing samples in the hallways as we're walking the hallways. You have to know how to read by the end of kindergarten. So we are recognizing only about 50% of our kids are coming in kindergarten ready. We give a kindergarten readiness assessment at the beginning of kindergarten and only about 50% of those kids are ready. And so if we don't reach down into that VPK pre-kindergarten um, age range and really like boost up what we're doing there, we're gonna always be behind track and it's gonna always have implications by the time they get to third grade. So we are really beefing up our partnerships um, with the Children's Board, with the um, Early Learning Coalition. We are building uh, pre-K programs into our elementary schools to try to get kids in earlier um, because we recognize that if we don't start there, how are we ever going to get to really understanding and calculating graduation rate, if you will, right? So we're getting that whole pre-K to graduation and post is really we're looking at that whole that whole line. You mentioned that if a if a school is D and F for a certain period of time, you'll bring in a private management company to yeah. to manage that. Tell me about that process and who are these companies that do that kind of thing? So we have companies now that are looking to turn around work um, in the state of Florida. We are very pro uh, charter. And so you do have those now educational subsidiaries that are coming out that might be running a, a, a private public private uh, school or a charter school. And now a spinoff of that is that they don't necessarily want to have a school, but they feel like they have something to offer when they come into schools. And it might be I have um, a structure or a system that we think if you follow this structure or system, it'll help you, you know, close the achievement gap. It could 
could be we bring in additional personnel. So we may have additional reading coaches, math coaches, interventionists, right? Or we have this spread of professional development. So you'll find many companies that are really pitching different ways and avenues to try to close the achievement gap in partnership uh, with the district. I, I can't even imagine how hard this work must be. Give me something that keeps you coming back in the morning. You must have some successes to talk about. I absolutely do um, have successes. We, as a matter of fact, we are projected right now, um, eight, of the eight schools that our external operator for are projected to be strong C's. So in one year, we started this uh, this, wow. this school year. So in one year, um, four of those schools are projected, projected to be strong strong C's. And so we have other successes in our non-external um, operator schools where many of them are going to be C's. We have some schools that we're looking at are going are gonna to hit the B mark. And so really what it was about this year is getting the right leader in place, really focused on um, rigorous, high quality instruction, making sure kids are working on on grade level assignments. A lot of times in our transformation schools, we get caught up in that whole remediation phase where the kids are only exposed to prior year or prior prior years work. We've got to hit kids where they are and where they're expected to be and then scaffold, maybe accelerate what we call accelerate, where we condense um, and collapse some older standards in partnership with new standards, um, but we've, we've got to get there. We've had some collaborative opportunities for teachers, did a lot of professional development, had some new programming, and all of it is, is, is seeming to be successful. Out of state of emergency, what we did different this year though, and through some funding through ESSA dollars, we did start a Saturday Academy. And so we had 17 sessions across the year of Saturday Academy. And what we found um, of those 17 sessions, kids that attended 10 or more sessions, um, we saw had um, at least 18 percentage point increase um, in their overall grade uh, versus anybody that was four or less. So we are looking at things um, out of out of just we had to do it out of emergency. We're now looking at, OK, what was good about that? How did it work? What did people feel about it? What did parents think? What did teachers think? Is this something we should be looking at coming into this year as we continue to recognize that we could we have to close the gap from almost a, a, what we consider, you know, a year's loss of learning, depending on the student and educational setting and what have you. So we, we are really trying to uncover what are some of those things that are that are now being tested that are finding that we're finding results with that we can move forward in the in the coming year. Well, my, my son complains about missing a free throw. And then I, I, I ask him, how many free throws did you practice this week? And it, it's pretty simple mathematics, right? Like right. go do something more if you want to get better at it. And right. Saturday school seems like a really logical uh, you know, way to put kids more time on, on task. And, and, yeah. and you will see improvement if you just do something, <laughs> whatever it is you do. If you do more of it, you'll get better at it. Right. You want to do so, more, you want to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. So um, you, you have a, so much energy and optimism in your voice. To do what you do, I think you have to be that kind of person. What What does what uh, Shay McCray do when she's not? Uh, what is your passion when you're not focused on turning s difficult schools around and making them great again? <laughs> So I am totally into all things fashion, like I'm into interior design, I'm into fashion, I'm always looking at what's the latest European trend, what's yep. the latest color, what's the latest thing. So when I'm not doing this work, I'm at home online trying to figure out the next purchase. <laughs> that is fantastic. And you know, like that, that should be part of education too, right? Like we should be finding ways to, there's a lot of young women and I would suspect a lot of young men who are into the, to, to design and fashion. Yeah. I mean, those are ways to, to spark that interest and that love of learning that we started out talking about earlier on the show. 
You're right. Let me go ahead and make a real time connection. I was looking at the draft and we had some dapper guys coming up with their little new suits on and their little European cut. All yep. kind of, we were talking about that this morning. And so, um, yeah, just finding ways to get the interest of kids, regardless of what that is. And we might it, it, it extends beyond sports and it might not be books. It may be other things. And so you're right. We just got to keep going at it and, and keep trying to get the attention of our kids because it matters. Right. Their education matters. It absolutely does. It matters not just for them, but really all of us as a country. For everyone. Yep. Exactly. It's exactly. so true. Well, thank you so much for being on the clock. Shay, you are now off the clock. Um, right. And finally, can you tell our listeners how they might reach out to you uh, if they have questions or comments? Uh, what's a good way to reach you? So um, I'm Shalia McCray, S-H-A-Y-L-I-A dot McCray, M-C-R-A-E at H-C-P-S, Hillsborough County Public Schools dot net. They can email me or look me up online. Um, I'm in Hillsborough County. I'm the chief of the Transformation Network, and I'm here. And you are awesome. Thank you so much for being Thank on the show. You. Thank you so much. If you want to learn more about the show, please visit www.strategosgroup.com. Please consider subscribing on your podcast streaming platform so you don't miss out on our next episode. And until next time, I'm Todd Dallas-Lamb, signing off.